Let's pray. Father in heaven, thanks so much for your many blessings and your goodness to us all. We are just delighted that you are almighty. You are the living God, the great king of all the earth, the creator of the heavens, the one who has breathed into us new life through Jesus Christ. And thank you for this uh, time of year when we remember the greatness of our God, the love and the grace he's shown us through Christ and the new life that we can have through you. And I pray that we would remember you uh, just not, not on Christmas only, but every day because you are everything. You are our life. So I pray, Lord, as we gather, as we read your word, as we sing, that you'd be honored and glorified, that we would direct our hearts to you, that we would come and be still before you, knowing that you are God. We love you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, today we start in the book of Luke. So a new, a new book. It's great. Luke chapter 1. I find that I'm easily thrown off if my expectations aren't met. How about you? Like I have an expectation that something's going to happen or in a, something should, it just is reasonable that it should, I should be able to get in my car and drive to a location and I should, it should be predictable. But then there's traffic and I'm feeling time poor and uh, I get stressed. I become agitated. And you can feel great and hear bad news and suddenly you feel troubled. Like all those good feelings are suddenly evaporated. And it doesn't take much to trouble us. It's kind of like still water. A little stone thrown into it is going to make a big ripple. It's going to continue. And there's that tense scene in the first Lord of the Rings movie where they're trying to open the doors of Durin. It's night by, the, by Moria. And uh, the hobbits are a bit bored. Gandalf can't remember the words. And so they start throwing rocks into the water. And Aragon like grabs his hand and says, do not disturb the water. Do not trouble the water. And uh, he was too late. A couple of splashes. It woke up the watcher in the water. It's a big beast. It starts attacking them. And so it's like this chain reaction happens where the water's troubled, the people are troubled, and they go into more trouble. And uh, we live in a world that's troubled. There's so many things that trouble us. And uh, it was into a fallen world that Jesus has come that um, a, a broken world with lost people that need salvation. And maybe the world has never been more troubled and polarized and chaotic than it is now. So the gospel and the promise of salvation through Jesus and the rest that we have in him should be welcome news. It sh it's the greatest news that we, we have salvation in Jesus, a savior. We find rest for our souls. And so a little background on this book that we're gonna start today, written around 60 AD by Luke. Uh, he also wrote the book of Acts. And Paul's companion, he's called the beloved physician. 28% uh, of the New Testament is contained in the book of Luke and Acts. And uh, so if, if the writer of the he if Hebrews is unknown, then he wrote the majority of the New Testament as far as word count. Lots of words. He used a very high level of Greek uh, and believed to be a Gentile because uh, he did not begin following Jesus at the very beginning of Christ's ministry, as we'll see that he did a lot of background and research into things. But his name in Colossians 4 is not listed among the circumcision. So he's not believed to be a Jew, but a Gentile who wrote this book. 
and there's a lot of material unique to the book of Luke, and it's written like to a Gentile perspective. There's a lot of explanations given to things that aren't given in the other Gospels. Um, And there's a lot of emphasis on Christ's background, on forgiveness, prayer, ordinary people with needs that Jesus met. And uh, really looking forward to, to jumping in together. So Luke 1, starting in verse 1. Inasmuch as many have taken in hand to set in order a narrative of those things which have been fulfilled among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word delivered them to us, It seemed good to me also, having had perfect understanding of all things from the very first, to write to you an orderly account, most excellent Theophilus, that you may know the certainty of those things in which you were instructed. The Gospel of Luke is unique in that it is directed to a particular person, this most excellent Theophilus, who's also the one that the book of Acts is addressed to. And the purpose of writing it is plainly stated. It's written so that Theophilus and anyone who would read this document when it was circulated, they would know the certainty of those things in which you were instructed. So Theophilus had been instructed, Luke had been instructed, and it says that he had seen many other narratives concerning Jesus and his life that many people had taken upon themselves to write. Maybe not of them all inspired like uh, Matthew, Mark, or John, but there were narratives written, and he said, uh, many have done this, but I am doing an ordered and perfect account, having knowledge of these things from the very beginning. And we're not told when he started following Jesus, But it says that he researched in verse 2 from eyewitnesses and ministers of the word that it had been delivered to him. So some of these things Luke had um, heard from eyewitnesses, people who had been there at the very beginning. Uh, This word in the Greek for eyewitnesses, it's the only time we find this particular word in scripture. And it's the word that we derive autopsy. So an autopsy, it's a thorough investigative, it's like digging into a post-mortem investigation. You know, you're writing down, you're documenting, and you're drawing conclusions based upon what you already know, what you've studied, what you've learned. I mean, it would be impossible for me to conduct an autopsy because I don't even know where to start. I don't know what, what's the right procedure, what exactly I need to be checking. But Luke's like, I have perfect knowledge of these things. I've researched it from eyewitnesses. It's been delivered to me, and I want to give you an orderly account of everything exactly how it happened. We know that Luke traveled extensively with Paul. Undoubtedly, he taught him a lot of things. Um, But based on this eyewitnesses from the beginning statement, based upon what he says later, um, we see that he probably spoke with Zacharias and Elizabeth concerning John the Baptist, and Mary concerning the birth of Jesus. So this, uh, and we see a lot of detail about the angel visiting with them. And so what we're going to read today, when Jesus was circumcised in the temple, uh, meeting with Simeon and Anna, there's a lot of unique elements to the book of Luke. So he says, I've given you an ordered account. It's perfectly accurate. It's a true accounting of the facts. It's kind of like if you have a picture and you put it in your printer scanner, you scan the image, and now you have a digital representation on your monitor. 
it's the same image. It's just in a different format. And so the things happened, and he says, I'm going to write it down exactly as it happened. It's going to be a perfect copy. So you know the things that are written there are trustworthy. They're secure. Luke's not claiming to, to have more information than anyone else. He's just saying, I'm recording you the facts as they were delivered to me. And in writing this ordered, thorough account, it's more than we could learn or understand or apply in a million lifetimes because it's the word of God. So that's what's so cool about it. Luke 1, verse 5. There was in the days of Herod, the king of Judea, a certain priest named Zacharias of the division of Abijah. His wife was of the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking in all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord blameless. But they had no child, because Elizabeth was barren, and they were both well advanced in years. So it was that while he was serving as priest before God in the order of his division, according to the custom of the priesthood, his lot fell to burn incense when he went into the temple of the Lord. And the whole multitude of the people was praying outside at the hour of incense. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And when Zechariah saw him, he was troubled, and fear fell upon him. Luke's narrative, it begins before the birth of John the Baptist, before the birth of Jesus. It's during the reign of Herod the Great. He was a Roman uh, king appointed by them. He reigned from 32 to 4 BC. And we're introduced to a priest named Zacharias who was serving in the temple at that time. And his wife was of the daughters of Aaron. Her name was Elizabeth. And they're devout Jews. It says they kept the law of Moses. And they were both elderly and without children. And it wasn't because of lack of desire or opportunity. Um, but they had no kids. And undoubtedly that barrenness was a source of grief to them as that culture saw the blessing of a fruitful womb as a primary mark of God's blessing. It's something they didn't have, and so it was kind of a gap that, that was a grief of mine to them. Um, now, the Levites, the law says, they were restricted until the age of 50, but there were no re restrictions for priests. So he was likely well advanced beyond 50, serving in the temple and so you would be from all different parts of Israel and have to go to the temple as a priest to serve. But there were so many priests at this time that, that you would have a job by lot. I mean, there's only one priest that can burn the incense. And so they would take lots, they would draw straws or something to that equivalent, and then he, his name got called. It's like, you won the lottery. You get to go into the temple and you get to burn the incense today. And that was a really big deal because you could serve your whole life and your name never get called. So he gets, his, he gets this call to appear before the Lord, to offer up prayers on behalf of the nation. Think how you would feel when they're like, you're on. You've studied it. You've been living it. Now you get to go into the presence of where God dwells. Like you, get a, you get an opportunity to do this really holy, sacred task. We read of it in Exodus 30, verse 7 and 8. Aaron shall burn on it sweet incense every morning. When he tends the lamps, he shall burn incense on it. And when Aaron lights the lamps at twilight, he shall burn incense on it. A perpetual incense before the Lord throughout your generations. If you think 
preparing for a big game or a big day, like your wedding or something. It's a big day. There's a lot of preparation. Well, this is even greater um, to, to prepare yourself to appear before the living God, putting on the, the washings, the, the, the statements that you would make, the way that you washed, the clothes that you wore, and putting on the ephod, getting all prepared for this moment to offer up the incense before the Lord. It was a sober task. And the process of burning incense, like all the other things of the law, it was very complicated. There were a lot of ritualistic aspects to it that you had to attend to and things to say. And you take the burning coals from the altar. So something that's on fire from the, the altar outside, you carry it in with the incense. So it's where the sacrifice would have been offered. You take that and you bring it in. And then you, uh, you, know, you don't want to be dropping the incense or, you know, the, the instruments clattering to the ground, something embarrassing. Like, there's, there's a lot of formal, formalness to it. And I do have a picture, um, if you could put that up there, of the, the altar of incense. So this is in the Temple Institute in Jerusalem. And this is the ephod that they have put together for the next temple. And they have the altar of incense there. Now, this is a very rare picture because they don't allow you to take pictures in the Temple Institute any longer. But the rule was, if there's someone in the picture, you're allowed to take one. So that's why we have our hostess there telling us everything about it. And uh, yeah, so there's the altar of incense. That's actually the one that they will use in the third temple when it's built. That's the plan anyway at this stage. So pretty cool. So that's, he'd been wearing something similar to that. So he's alone in the temple. All these people are praying for him. He's praying for the nation. And it says that as he's doing this, an angel is standing by the right side of the altar. He's like, oh, okay, not in my plan. Unexpected moment. I had prepared for this day, but there was nothing in the law that said anything about an angel at the right side of the altar, like, hmm. It says he was troubled. The Greek says he was stirred and agitated. It says he was also afraid. He was seized with fear. Completely unexpected. And, and think about what might be going through your mind. Like, what did I do wrong? What's going to happen? What's am I, what am I supposed to do? I can imagine a lot of unpleasant thoughts at that time, being troubled. Verse 13, but the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zacharias, for your prayer is heard. And your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you will call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord, and shall drink neither wine nor strong drink. He will be also be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. He will also go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Like other times when angels appeared to people, say, do not be afraid. Don't be afraid, Zacharias. Your prayer has been heard. God has heard you. Isn't it a great thing that God hears prayers of those who seek him? We have two ears, and uh, even when they're working, we don't always hear people when they're talking to us. 
And we're not always heard when we address people. We're like, did you hear me? No, I, I didn't know you were talking. I was kind of locked into what I was doing here. You need to get my attention first. Um, but God hears prayers. He answers them. The prayer that God heard and answered was likely a prayer that Zacharias had given up praying that he and Elizabeth would have a child. For years they agonized in prayer. But now they were old. It seemed impossible. Maybe it caused them to stop praying, maybe not. Maybe they kept on praying, even though it seemed impossible. But regardless, God heard their prayer. And it wasn't the prayer for the nation, it was a prayer for them, really, and it was for the nation, it was for the world. God answered this. He says, you're going to have a son named John. Just let me encourage you, don't stop praying when things seem impossible. God's faithful to hear and answer prayers, so let's be faithful to pray. I wonder if there are prayers that we've given up praying, a prayer that we used to pray a lot a long time ago, but because nothing's really moved or nothing's really changed, we figure, well, what's the point? I should move on. But let the Lord prompt you if there's something to pray with renewed faith, trusting in him that he's going to accomplish it. And he could answer a prayer that you prayed 30 years ago, 40 years ago, that prayer could be answered today because God does the impossible. He is an awesome God. This was no ordinary pregnancy, and John would be no ordinary child. The angel said, you're going to have joy. All kids are special, but he had this unique calling. He would be great in the sight of God. He'd be filled with the Holy Spirit in utero. That he would not drink wine or strong drink. He'd be used by God to turn, it says, the hearts of the fathers back to God. And one who prophesied to go before the Messiah that God had promised. In the spirit and power of Elijah. He was a bit of a throwback, we read, in his adulthood. And he's wearing that leather girdle around his, ba- his waist and he's eating locusts and and uh, honey, and people went out to see him, and he had such authority when he spoke. Now, if you please turn in your Bibles to Malachi chapter 4, starting verse 5, it's really the parting words of the Old Testament that he mentions here, this angel. Malachi 4, starting in verse 5. So he identifies John as fulfillment of this passage. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord, and he will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the earth with a curse. John would make a people prepared for the Messiah that God would send. And isn't it great that God would send a Savior before the dreadful day of the Lord, a day of judgment, not after when it's really not required anymore. But he's, hey, there's a great and dreadful day coming, but I'm going to send you a Messiah and a Savior before that day so you can be redeemed. Okay, back to Luke 1, verse 18. And Zechariah said to the angel, how shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife is well advanced in years. And the angel answered and said to him, I am Gabriel, who stands in the presence of God and was sent to speak to you and bring you these glad tidings. But behold, you will be mute and not able to speak until the day these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their own time. 
Zacharias questions the angel. He points out the obstacles. He says, hold on. How shall I know this is true? Me Me and my wife, we're old. We're advanced in years. And I think we do this, don't we? We focus on the obstacles, rather on the God who can do everything. And the angel identifies himself. He says, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. He's the one who sent me to you. Now, Zacharias knows that he cannot even walk into the Holy of Holies by himself. Like, unless he is covered with, has the blood of the sacrifice on that one day of atonement, that's the one time he could appear before the Lord and not die. So Gabriel's like, I stand with God. And so that, that's some authority. And he says, because you didn't believe what I said, you're not going to be able to speak until these words are fulfilled in their time. It's not random that I'm here. I, I, this meeting has been or, ordained and orchestrated by God to give you a message. So the message is still going to come to pass, but you won't be able to speak. So ironic, the mouth that you use to pray those prayers all those, for all those years, you won't even be able to share this happy news that I'm giving you because you didn't believe me. Maybe Zacharias hoped for a sign to confirm these things, and so he, he was given a sign. So for 10 months plus, you won't be able to speak. Isn't it ironic the ones who pray can be surprised and unprepared when the answer comes? He's troubled, and God was doing something that was awesome. But it wasn't expected. It's not what he wanted at that time. He was happy to just go into the, the uh, temple, offer the incense, and just have like, that went smooth. Like, how'd that go? Oh, pretty good, pretty good. You know, here, I'm here. I didn't get struck dead or anything. He'd have been happy with that. But God had something totally different in store. Chapter 1, verse 21. And the people waited for Zacharias and marveled that he lingered so long in the temple. But when he came out, he could not speak to them. And they perceived that he had seen a vision in the temple, for he beckoned to them and remained speechless. And so it was, as soon as the days of his service were completed, that he departed to his own house. Now after those days, his wife Elizabeth conceived, and she hid herself five months, saying, Thus the Lord has dealt with me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among people. The people are praying and waiting, and it was the hour of incense, right? There was a certain set time, and and he stayed in, and he stayed in, and they're wondering, what is going on? They perhaps stopped praying for him and they're kind of talking to each other and wondering what's happening. And I just see necks craning out of this huge multitude of people that gathered at the temple to pray. They were amazed by the irregularity because they're used to routine. But with God, nothing is routine. He does exactly what he wants. Finally, Zacharias emerges. Instead of addressing the people and explaining, oh, sorry guys, got a bit carried away in the presence of the Lord. or it, it, he, Like he doesn't give any explanation. He doesn't dismiss them according to tradition by giving them the high priestly um, blessing that we read in Numbers 6. He can't speak at all. And there's this very challenging game of charades that breaks out. Okay, now... Of all the things that you've had to draw out of a hat, can you imagine drawing, like, 
While I was praying, an angel appeared by the altar of incense, told me I would have a son named John, but because I don't be- didn't believe him, I can't speak now. Like, you try to act that out. Pretty tough. I, I think he did pretty well because they realized, well, he must have seen a vision. I mean, I don't even know how to, how to act that out. You saw a vision, but they, he did well. So the days of his service are finished. As the angel said, he still cannot speak. He returns home. His wife and he came together, and according to God's promise, Elizabeth conceives. Now, it's interesting that she hides herself when her pregnancy isn't obvious from till the fifth month. It says, she hid herself, saying, thus the Lord has dealt with me. She did so in gratefulness to God. When people are engaged to be married, you know, you see the the ring pictures, right? The ring is kind of everywhere. Like the hands are here and there's the ring. And the earth. So, you know, it's kind of like an announcement. Uh, you're, you ha- you're going to have a child. And so the sonogram picture is posted. Like, look who's coming. New edition. Everyone's like, whoa, how exciting. Like you get all fired up because there's this good news to share, right? But for five m- months, she doesn't say anything to anybody, even when it's not obvious, because it's a special thing between her and God. It's like she celebrated God more than his answer to her prayer, more than that there was a baby on the way. She celebrated him, and she's like, this is for us. Now, there's nothing wrong with rejoicing and announcing great news. You know, hey, it's great to announce the, a new baby, or you're engaged to be married, or, but may we treasure God more than the good things he gives us. That's what we see here. And we, and we hear like, oh, God dealt with me. Kind of has a negative overtone, right? <laughs> but she's like, thus God has dealt with me and his dealings have been good. He has been faithful. He has heard me. He has answered. Verse 26. Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And having come in, the angel said to her, Rejoice, highly favored one, the Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. But when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying and considered what manner of greeting this was. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a city of Galilee called Nazareth. Now to someone who lived in Nazareth, this would be out in whoop whoop somewhere. Um, 24 k's west of the Sea of Galilee, about 100 k's north of Jerusalem. It's out in the sticks, not a great, uh, not highly thought of, this region. It's far from major roads. There was a man that Jesus would call later as a disciple who said, he actually said this, could anything good come out of Nazareth? That was his view of Nazareth. Well, this is where the angel was sent, to a virgin named Mary. He had this message for her, and in the, it says she was of the house of David. She was betrothed to Joseph, who was of the house of David. And in the Jewish culture, being betrothed, it meant that you were legally married. There had been a ceremony. First, there would be an agreement between the fathers, and usually a discussion with the daughter if she was content to be married to this man. That was all settled. And there would be a bride price. So because the woman would be leaving her father's house and going to her husband's house, the husband would need to pay something 
to that other person's house, to, so to the, the bride's house, to ensure that, um, because they were taking a very valuable member of their household away. And so it was to compensate for that. And betrothal was that formal ceremony be- before the elders with documentation that you were indeed married. But what's different about their marriage ceremony, so betrothal, is that you were not allowed to be together. And if you were betrothed, that woman should not be with any man at all, except like an immediate family member. And that you were legally married, it would require a divorce to break the betrothal, but you wouldn't live together for about a year until the father of the groom decides, now it's time for for the celebration and the consummation and living together as husband and wife. So you were husband and wife, but living apart. And it was during that season where Gabriel shows up. And I love how verse 28 says, and having come in. So it's like, this is very untoward. This is very culturally inappropriate that a male would come into a place where there was a betrothed woman. But Gabriel was no man. He comes right into her place and just says, Rejoice, highly favored one. The Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. And it doesn't say she's like, wow, this is great. She she wasn't really rejoicing right then, right? She's troubled because she's trying to figure out what is going on. Who is this guy? What What are his intentions? What kind of greeting is this? I don't even know this person. The word for being troubled here is slightly different than Zacharias. He was Tarasso, which is a very strong word for being troubled. She was diatarasso. Dia, when you put that in front, that means completely or thoroughly. So he was troubled. She was thoroughly troubled. She was like right through her, like what is happening here? And being unexpected, I don't think she fully appreciated at this moment the truth of what he said, where he says rejoice, God's with you, you are blessed. Even good things when unexpected are not quickly received by us, right? Take some time to digest. But no, this is really true concerning you. We are highly favored. The Lord is with us, and we are blessed. Verse 30, Then the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son, and shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Highest. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. He tells her not to be afraid because she found favor with God. She would have a unique role in his plans to carry and give birth to the Son of God. And it was not because she was the most devout or worthy, but of God's grace. She found favor with him. He extended grace to her. The words of the angel hearken back to what God promised in Isaiah. If you think back to when King Ahaz was on the throne in Jerusalem, there was this rumor that Ephraim had joined forces with Syria and they were coming to destroy them. And it says that everyone was shaking like a leaf. They were just so afraid. They're like, wow, the Syrians are powerful. But if the northern kingdom combines with them, we don't stand a chance. And so Isaiah goes to Ahaz and he says, This isn't going to happen. They are not going to come. It's a rumor. Ask me anything. What sign do you want that you will be safe? 
And he's like, oh, I'm not going to ask a sign from the Lord. He didn't really believe. But in Isaiah 7, 4, 14, the prophet says, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. So he says, you refuse to ask for a sign. Well, here's a free one. The virgin will conceive and give birth. Bear a son. His name will be Emmanuel, which is God with us. So you're not going to ask me for a sign. You don't even believe what I'm telling you right now, but I'll give you one for free. There's going to Messiah. I'm going to send a Messiah. A virgin will conceive. His name will be Jesus, Yeshua in Hebrew. And he explains quite a lot about this future son, that he would be great, called the son of the highest. He would have the throne of David, that he would rule and reign over God's kingdom forever. Jesus would be born a child, but at the same time, the only begotten of the father. So if you're to, to be begotten, it's like a duplicate of the same kind, like a sheep begets sheep and a human being begets a human being. If you're begotten of God, then you are God. You are the same kind. Uh, And this is what we read in Psalm 2, verse 7. The fulfillment of David's words, I will declare the decree. The Lord has said to me, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. So Jesus, you know, in John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. So Jesus, begotten of the Father, not of man. Luke 1.34, Then Mary said to the angel, How can this be, since I do not know a man? And the angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore also the Holy One who is to be born will be called the Son of God. Now indeed, Elizabeth, your relative, has also conceived a son in her old age, and this is now the sixth month for her who was called barren. For with God, nothing will be impossible. Then Mary said, Behold, the maidservant of the Lord, let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Zacharias had a question. Mary has a question. She says, How can this be since I am not sleeping with anyone? I don't, haven't known a man. And Gabriel revealed the truth. Zacharias being motivated by unbelief, that question. He's like, how could that happen? But she's like saying, well, how will God do this? It's quite a different line of questioning because there was no doubt in her heart that he would fulfill it, but she questioned, how is that going to happen? How will you do this, seeing that I don't know a man? And he explained, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, you will conceive. I mean, the God who created the heavens and the earth and Uh, The way uh, plants and people procreate, that same God is able to overrule all powers of nature and to do everything that he wants. Any child sired by man would be a son of Adam. He would have a sin nature passed down through generations. But the Holy Spirit would cause a man to be born who was begotten of God. She doesn't ask for a sign. She doesn't ask for confirmation. But Gabriel gives her one. He says, hey, Your kinswoman, your relative, Elizabeth, she's conceived in her old age. The miraculous conception of Elizabeth, the one who was called barren, it confirms the word that I'm telling you concerning you. 
you're going to give birth. You're going to carry the child. And there's this beautiful truth. With God, nothing will be impossible. Are there things that you think are impossible for you? Physically impossible or um, just like, no, that's not going to happen. It's beyond my ability, my capacity. With God, nothing is impossible. I'm reminded of what of when the Lord appeared to Abraham, right? He was, they were, he and his wife were old. He was about 100. She was 90. And he says, about this time next year, Sarah is going to have a child. And she's all, <laughs> she's like laughing in the tent. And the Lord, it says the Lord appeared. The Lord says like, why did you laugh? It's going to happen. She said, I didn't laugh. Oh, you did. You did laugh. I heard that. <laughs> And this is in response to Sarah's scoffing in Genesis 18, 14. The Lord said, is anything too hard for the Lord? At the appointed time, I will return to you according to the time of life, and Sarah shall have a son. Do our prayers reflect the fact that we think there's something that's too hard for the Lord? Or do we really think nothing is hard for the Lord? It's hard for me. It's impossible for me, but not for God. You know what we can be like? We can be like kids when they're asked to write out a list of something they want for Christmas or their birthday. And so in a child's mind, you're thinking, okay, I know we don't have room for this, so I'm not going to even ask for it. You know, I want a pony, but we don't have a paddock, so I can't ask for that. Uh, I want a car, but pff, I know my parents don't have the money to give me a car. So, and I'd really like a new phone, but, you know, it's... So you, you always settle... You settle for something that's in the realm of possibility because you, you realize that your parents or your family have limited means and you don't want to be let down when you don't get it. So you don't actually ask for the thing you really want. And we can be like that when we're praying. We don't even ask God for what he has put on our heart, but we kind of dumb it down, soften it a bit, because we just don't want to be let down because we really don't believe that nothing's hard for him. So he says, is anything hard for the Lord? And we, we go, well, it's hard for me. It's got to be hard for, it's hard for them. It's impossible for us. It's not hard for God. Nothing's, nothing's hard for him. Our call is to believe what God has said and, and submit ourselves before him completely, like Mary does here believing that God in due time will answer that prayer, not because I prayed, but because he is gracious and good, and he keeps his word. Verse 38, it says, Then Mary says, Behold, the maidservant of the Lord, let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Without even being told the angel's name or that he was an angel, there was never that discussion. Right? They, it doesn't say that she was like, okay, Tell me who you are. I'm not really sure about this. She just says, here I am, slave of God, slave of the Lord. That word servant, it's doula, which is slave, female slave. Let it be to me as you have said. And just like when we make a profession of faith in Jesus Christ to repent and to trust in him, we are instantly born again through the indwelling Holy Spirit who comes upon us. I have no doubt in this 
very instant when her agreement with God and profession of faith that right then she conceived Jesus Christ. As God had promised. Does she have to wait a couple of weeks just to make sure she's really committed? No, I see no reason why. This is the time. She says, let it be to me according to your word. And when she said that, she conceived. I love that Mary doesn't get bogged down with the pros and cons here. She's not thinking, am I ready to be a mother? She wasn't even living with her husband yet. She's not thinking about, what, what are people going to think in the village? You know, we haven't been together. I fall pregnant. It's not a good look. Like how, how is my life going to change? I kind of like the freedom I have now. I mean, I don't even have a husband living with me. Like, what would you think if you were told this? Like, she didn't ask for this, likely. <laughs> I can't imagine she did, but maybe she did. But when she was told God's word, she trusted him. She says, let it be to me according to your word. And may there be found in us such faith that submits soul, body, mind, and future before God. It says, Lord, whatever you want, I am your slave. I am your servant. Have your way with me. At the revelation of God's plans, unexpected plans, Sarah, she scoffed. Moses, he tries to pawn it off on someone else. Gideon, he's afraid. Zacharias and Mary, they were troubled. But what an example Mary provides of trusting God, presenting herself before him, and cheering him on and saying, do it, God. Keep your word. They were both troubled. They both had questions when God revealed plans for them they didn't expect. The questions that we ask of God, are they rooted in unbelief or believing that he is going to keep his word as he's promised in due time? When we feel troubled, when we are disturbed, May those feelings be those that push us, that prompt us to seek the Lord and to trust him. This morning I was reading in John chapter 4. Uh, you could turn there if you want. For starting in verse 47. I just have King James on me at the moment, so it should be followable. John 4, 47 through 53. I think it's lovely when the Lord puts an exclamation point at the end of a message for me because um, this wasn't in my initial notes. John four forty seven says, When he had heard that Jesus was come out of Judea into Galilee, he went unto him, this is a nobleman, and besought him that he would come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. Then said Jesus unto him, Except ye see signs and wonders, ye will not believe. The nobleman saith unto him, Sir, come down ere my child die. Jesus said unto him, Go your way, thy son liveth. And the man believed the word that Jesus had spoken unto him and went his way. And as he was now going down, his servants met him and told him, saying, Thy son liveth. Then he inquired he of them the hour when he began to amend. And they said unto him, Yesterday at the seventh hour the fever left him. So the father knew that it was at the same hour in which Jesus said to him, Thy son liveth, and himself believed, and his whole house. 
So this man hears that Jesus is there. He believes that Jesus could heal his son and says, you know, please come to my house, heal my son, he's dying. And Jesus says, you know, go your way. Your son lives. And he did. It says, he believed the word Jesus spoke to him. So he believed the word. But then when he's met by servants coming from home saying, hey, your son's out of danger. He, he's not going to die. Things are looking really good. He says, when did that actually happen? Uh, like what time of the day? And he goes, the seventh hour. And they say, wow, that's the exact same time that Jesus said he was going to be better. And so then what does it say? It says, he himself believed. So the first one, it's like he believed Jesus enough to go to him. He believed Jesus enough to obey and to hear his word. But there was, a, there was this belief that was like, now I am trusting him. Now the word for believe, it's exactly the same in the Greek. But this kind of belief, that's what we see in Mary. And may that be in us. Not just to believe his word. Not just to comply with a command, but to rely upon him, to trust him, to entrust our future and our whole life unto him. Because the Holy Spirit who filled John the Baptist from the womb, the one who caused Mary to conceive, that is the same Holy Spirit who lives inside of you as a follower of Jesus Christ. You've been born again. It's the Holy Spirit who has regenerated you. And he dwells within you. It's he who fills you and enables you to do everything that God's called you to do. Faith in God, it urges him to keep his word. It trusts in him and rejoices in him. It cheers him on to do his good work. And with God, nothing will be impossible. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for this reminder, for this instruction from your word, that with you, nothing will be impossible. And, and Lord, I am easily troubled, and we live in a troubled world. And I pray, Father, that you would cause us, questions or not, to submit ourselves wholly to you, to believe you, to trust you, to rely upon you, to expect you to do the unexpected, to expect you to do the impossible in your time. The things that you fulfill, Lord, we rejoice in, and the things yet to be fulfilled, we, we gladly await. Lord, give us that patience to wait upon you, to be seeking you faithfully. I pray for my brothers and sisters here that we would um, rejoice that we have been favored by you, that you've given us grace through Jesus Christ, who was born of a virgin, that there is salvation and there is hope for us, that we're not without hope, and we have rest in Jesus. Thank you, Lord, for the, the great gifts you give us and may we never cease rejoicing in you, believing in you, praying to you, Lord. Thank you that you hear and answer prayers. And may you quicken us to keep praying, Lord, believing that you will accomplish all you've promised. You are good, Lord, and we love you. In Jesus' name, amen.